So like we, we sing songs like that. We sing about uh, his name is Jesus. He's awesome in power. He's this healer. Uh, we declare all of these things. Uh, essentially what we're saying is, Jesus, we believe that you are the source of all of our strength. And we sing that today, but how many of us are going to remember that tomorrow? Like, like we, we talk about it today, we declare it, maybe like the way that song's written, you're going to ho- go home and you're going to download it on your Apple Music or something like that, and you're going to be singing it all week. But, but, but when life presents tests, when life presents challenges, are you going to pass those tests? Or are you going to rise up to those challenges? Not because you just sang it or because you said it or because you want to believe it, but are you going to truly operate as if you believe that that is in fact true? And that's what, that's what Jesus has been teaching the disciples. I mean, Jesus has been trying to teach them that he is the source of all of their strength. We talked about that last week with the feeding of the 5,000. But then in the book of Mark, Mark's account of what we're going to look at today, Mark says they didn't, get the, they didn't get the message. They didn't understand the lesson. And so Jesus, like any good teacher, says we're, we're going to do it again. Like if you think about it, if you uh, fail a class, if you fail a grade, uh, well, I don't know what happens now, but like when I was a kid, if you failed a grade, you repeated it, right? If you, if you don't pass the grade, you get the privilege of doing it all over again. You can't get your permit. I, f- I actually find this interesting. You can't get a permit today without passing the written exam, but because of COVID, you can get a license without passing the road exam. <laughs> like, I kind of feel like I'd be a little more concerned about that driver's license, but you can't get your permit without passing that test. You can't carry a a weapon, you can't conceal and carry a a gun without passing the conceal and carry class. Like if you're you're a coach in here and you coach a sports team and you're running practice and the players aren't running the play right, you just go, okay, well, you know, we'll figure that out on the field. We'll just move on to the next play. No, you're going to continue to run that play over and over and over again. We're going to stay here until you get it. And life is full of moments like that for all of us where, where there's a lesson that we need to learn and we're missing the point. And so Jesus is going to bring us right back to that same place or in a different way to try to teach us the exact same lesson because we didn't get the point the first time. And the disciples didn't get the point about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is showing them, listen, I am your source. I'm everything you need, but they just don't get the point. They just don't understand the lesson that he's teaching them. And so because of that, the story that we're going to look at today, because they didn't get the point the first time, the the lesson they're going to learn today is ultimately about the exact same thing, that Jesus is the source of of all strength. And so we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, where we left off last week. So immediately after this, it says it's right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So they'd come to Bethsaida. We've actually got a slide up here for you to, uh, to look at. Um, so you can see there, Bethsaida, that's where they were. They'd gone from Capernaum to Bethsaida. It's only about three miles. So when you think of the, the Sea of Galilee, like it's not like they went from the, the far end to the other. Um, they, it's a very short distance. There's actually another picture that gives you kind of like an, what you would see looking at it. So that's, that's where they were in the top. That's where they were going. So not a... Not a long distance, certainly not a distance that would ever get them far off of land, and certainly not a distance where they wouldn't have at least seen land the whole time they were sailing. We talked about this last week. The people walked and basically tracked them. So the boat is sailing, and the people walked and got to 
the destination about the same time that Jesus and the disciples did. So they go to Bethsaida, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then immediately it says Jesus insisted that they get back in the boat and they go back to Capernaum, a distance of just a, a few miles. But it says that Jesus insisted. Jesus insisted that they, they get back in the boat, which gives you the sense the disciples were hesitant. If they weren't hesitant, there'd be no reason for it to say that Jesus insisted. So you get the sense that the disciples are hesitant. And when you understand the conditions and the time of day this was, you, you, you can get a little bit better, uh, have a little bit more sympathy for why they may have been hesitant. The disciples knew, number one, that it was about to be night. Like the sun is setting, it's starting to get, to get dark. If you've ever been on a boat during the day and then you've been on the same body of water at night, like it just feels very, very different. So the disciples are like, man, we don't really want to get in the boat. It's nighttime. Uh, nighttime fog was common on the Sea of Galilee. It was uh, significantly below sea level, which made the conditions right for there to be a lot of, of haze and fog. Uh, so it could have been difficult to see. It would have been easy to lose your bearings, even on a calm night. And then you add to the equation the unpredictable weather patterns on the Sea of Galilee. It was common for storms to just arise out of nowhere. And so you get the sense the disciples are thinking, man, like, let's just wait till the morning. Like, Jesus, you're the guy who said, let's come here so we could rest. Well, we showed up and we've been working the whole time. We haven't even rested yet. So, like, like let's just hang here. Or maybe they were thinking, like, man, we'll just walk with the people. Like, they got here just as fast on foot as we did by boat. We'll just walk back. But for whatever reason, Jesus insists. And like any good disciple does, first century disciple, one of the most basic traits of a disciple was they said yes to whatever the master called or commanded them to do. A first century disciple was known to say yes before the question was even asked. It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is yes, we're going to do it. So the disciples get in the boat and they begin to head back to Capernaum. And in verse 23, it says, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray and night fell while he was there alone. Verse 24, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land from a strong, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. So now remember, Jesus made them get in the boat. Jesus insisted that they do this. And we know from just the way Jesus operated and what Mark tells us, he insisted that they get in the boat and he knew that the storm was going to come up. You got to think from the disciples' perspective, they're probably thinking like, thanks for that, Jesus. Like you led us into a storm. You led us into this, into this place that would be difficult for us to, to manage, difficult for us to survive. And it just got me thinking about life. Like, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I have. I felt like Jesus has just completely driven me right into a storm. Like that I've said yes to something he's called me to do. I think of times in my life where I've said yes to something I've truly believed the Holy Spirit was leading me to do. And there's something about saying yes that we think when we say yes to whatever he's calling us to do, that that means all of the steps that are going to follow are going to be easy. That, man, I'm, I made the hard decision. I said yes, and now Jesus is going to make the road nice and smooth, nice and simple. And I can think of times where we've said yes as a family, where I've said yes, and the next step has been even more difficult than the first step. And there are times where I felt as if Jesus has brought me to a place where you feel alone, you feel abandoned, you question whether or not you made the right decision. You're asking the question, am I doing something wrong? 
Because like trials and difficulty in life in the Bible are always compared to storms, and storms constantly make us feel like we've done something wrong. And in fact, in this story, they, not, they didn't do anything wrong. In fact, they did everything right. They obeyed the master. They're exactly where Jesus wants them to be. And sometimes in our lives, the, the thing that we struggle with the most, the thing that we would like to be the most rid of in our life sometimes is the, the thing that Jesus wants in our life the most because it's teaching us something. He's teaching us a lesson. And when we find ourselves in that place, I think the best question to ask is not, how do I get out of this? But maybe the best question to ask is, what are you trying to teach me through it? Because the disciples are exactly where Jesus wants them to be. But it says that they're far away from land fighting this, fighting this storm. Now we, now, we don't know what far away from land means. There's, it could be written from one of two perspectives. It could be that they got blown off course, but we know from the picture I just showed you, they should have never been far away from land to begin with. So they were either blown off course or this is written from the perspective of one of the disciples in the boat that they've been rowing all night and they are just not getting anywhere. So they may not be that far from land, but because they can't see it, it gives them the illusion that they're far off course and that they're like out in the middle of, of the sea. But at about three o'clock in the morning, we know that when Jesus put them on the boat, it wasn't dark yet. It wasn't night yet. So it's probably somewhere between six and nine o'clock in the evening. And then about, this should have been maybe a two hour boat ride. About three o'clock in the morning, a lot of translations say, your Bible may say the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So somewhere around three o'clock in the morning. So anywhere between six to eight hours after they got into this boat and they're fighting against this storm, all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking towards them on the water. And it says in verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Now, now up until this point in the story, I don't think they're, they're certainly aware, but it doesn't appear as if they're terrified. It doesn't say they're terrified until they saw this being walking on the water towards them. They were for sure focused. Uh, I'm certain they were concerned, maybe even worried, but not terrified. The storm would have been something that they were concerned about, but remember, these guys are fishermen. They've been here before. They've navigated the difficult waters of the Sea of Galilee. This, this, part of the, this part of the story is not that new to them. So Jesus puts them out in this storm, but there's still an element from their perspective where things are still within their control. Jesus wants them to release control and trust that he's the source, but they're still going, we can do this. Like if the 12 of us work together, yeah, we're tired. Yeah, this is difficult, but we've been here before. We've done this before. But then all of a sudden now, this being is walking on the water. Now, we look at this story from the perspective of like 2,000 years of hindsight, but just try to put yourself in this position right now. Like if you own a boat and you're out on a boat tonight, and all of a sudden you see something walking on the water towards you, like you're immediately going to be concerned. You're going to go, I definitely had too much to drink. Or you're going to start to think like, what in the world is this, this being that's walking towards me? That's what the disciples are doing. And their immediate response is not, oh, this must be Jesus. Like Jesus is doing another trick. He's doing another miracle. Their immediate response is what your response and what my response would be, which is like, is it a ghost? Is it an angel? Is it a demon? I mean, is it like the Loch Ness Monster? Like for sure it's something, but we know it's not human. 
And so Jesus approaches the boat in Mark's gospel. It actually says that Jesus was walking towards them, but he wasn't going to walk all the way to the boat. He intended to walk past them. He simply wanted them to, to see and to know that he was there. But then Mark, uh, Matthew says that Jesus, or excuse me, verse 26, says that when the disciples saw him, they said, it's a ghost. And then they cried out. So they, they, now is when they cry out. Now they're scared and, and, they, and they scream. And it's when they cry out that Jesus responds. That Jesus responds in verse 27 and says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And I find it interesting, like Jesus didn't say, don't be afraid, take courage. It's really not that bad. He didn't say, don't be afraid, take courage. The storm's going to stop eventually. It's going to blow over like all the other storms. He says, don't be afraid because I am here. And the language he uses when he says, I am here, is the same language that God used when he appeared to Moses in the form of the burning bush back in the book of Exodus. So these guys, these are good Jewish kids. They've, they've been educated in the Jewish system. They know the familiarity of the language. They know the connection that Jesus is making with the Old Testament. That when God had this encounter with Moses and, and Moses gets close to, to where God is and God says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And he says, I want you to deliver my people. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell them to free my people. And Moses says, who do I tell them sent me? And he says, you tell them that I am sent you. That Yahweh, the word Yahweh means he is who he is or he will be who he will be. The name of God is so complex that we can't even come up with sentences or phrases that fully capture all of the greatness of who he is. And Jesus, Jesus uses a language that would have been familiar to the disciples. He says, you don't have to be afraid because the I am is here. Because the, the source of all your strength the one you've been watching for, the Messiah, the King, God in the flesh. You don't have to be afraid because I am here. And you see this image of Jesus coming to the disciples on the water and he shows up in what they fear most in the form of, of this storm. And he shows up in what they fear most and what I find so interesting about it is the disciples are doing everything they can just to keep rowing, just to, just to survive. And then Jesus shows up and it's not even like he's working hard. He's literally strolling through the storm. It's not even slowing him down, not even for a second. And you get this image, you get this picture of a God that is, that is sovereign. That, that the things that you and I are freaking out about, God is not freaking out about them. Man, we are freaking out about what to do with COVID, what to do with the vaccine. Do I get it? Do I not get it? What's truth? What's right? What's wrong? We are freaking out about it. And God is up in heaven completely unfazed by it. His sovereignty is not threatened. It's a storm that we are trying to navigate. And Jesus says, yeah, but, you're, but you're, the source is here. Like, 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 like you, you can trust me. You can trust that I care about you. Man, these disciples knew that Jesus cared about, him, about them. But don't you think in the middle of the storm that they were starting to question that? Like starting to question what they knew was true? I mean, could Jesus save us? Is Jesus strong enough? 
Jesus shows up in what they fear the most and speaks his sovereign voice and his sovereign power over it. And what you and I can cling to, what you and I can trust is that whatever we fear most, Jesus is sovereign over. The things that we are freaking out about do not faze him. There's nothing that shocks him. There's nothing that intimidates him. There's nothing that has him scratching his head. You know, Jesus has never said, give me a minute to think about that. Jesus has never had a, we need to figure this out moment. Nothing you and I are walking through is unknown to him. Nothing worries him and nothing threatens his sovereignty. He says, you don't have to be afraid because I am here. And then verse 28, it says, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, Tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, now this, this, is, this is classic Peter. If it's you, then call me out to you walking on the water. So he's trying to test whether or not it's a ghost or whether, it's, or whether or not it's Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I can think of a million other things he could have asked him besides ask me to come walk on the water. I mean, like Jesus, if it's, if it's you, how many people did we feed yesterday? Jesus, if it's you, where were you born? If it's you, what's my birthday? Jesus, do some jumping jacks or some yoga or like the whip and nene. Like do anything, Jesus, do something. But instead, Peter does what? Peter says, hey, if it's you, the way you're going you're gonna to prove it to me is you're going to call me to walk out on the water. But what if Peter was wrong? What if it wasn't Jesus? Like it's bye-bye Peter. Peter is a classic example of someone who thinks or who acts and then thinks later. And I totally connect with him, man, that's me. Like that's me in my home, that's me pastoring generation. You just need to know that. Like we figure out a lot of things, we build a lot of planes in the air. And Peter's that type of guy, he's like, hey, this is what I wanna do, I'm gonna do it and then I'm gonna think about it later. And so he says to Jesus, call me out on the water. Verse 29, Jesus says, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Now for a minute, just imagine that the moment right here from the perspective of Peter or from the perspective of the 12. I don't know if you've ever tried to walk on water before, but it just doesn't go well. I remember at times in my life where like we talked about the feeding the 5,000 last week. It's like Jesus can multiply food. And I remember sitting in elementary school in the cafeteria and they would give us this, this brownie for dessert. And I would just pray and be like, Jesus, multiply this brownie. Not for anybody else, but for me. Like I want like 20 of them. And walking on the water was another one. I'm like, Jesus, I've got enough faith. I'm going to walk on the water. And it just doesn't ever work. It, it doesn't ever happen. But in this moment, in this instant, like it happened. Maybe it was two steps, maybe it was 10 steps. It likely was not a far distance because visibility would have been very limited. But for a brief moment, for a few steps, Peter is walking on the water. Now, now I've always been taught that Peter walking on the water was a, was a matter of faith. If you've come from a church background like, like I do, this is all a story about faith. His faith is what led him out of the boat. And as long as his faith was strong, he was walking on the water, but when he took his eyes off of Jesus, that was symbolic of him, you know, losing his faith. And so when Jesus 
or excuse me, when Peter lost sight of Jesus, when he put his eyes on the winds and the waves, when he lost his faith, he sank. So I've always been taught this is a, this is a matter of faith. But if you read it, I don't think that's actually what this says at all. Because look, look at what it says. Peter says, if it's you, then call me out onto the water. A statement of faith would have been, I believe it's you, so call me out on the water. If is not really a statement of faith, is it? If is much more a statement of doubt. If it's you, I want you to prove it to me. Jesus, if it's really you, then call me out on the water. It was not his faith that led him out on the water. It was actually his doubt. Think about doubt for a second. What do we do with doubt? Like Peter pressed into his doubt. He confronted his doubt, but that's not what we do, is it? For most of us, we ignore it, we deny it, we hide it. Man, in, in, in church settings, certainly don't let anyone know you got doubt. You can talk about that with your, with your unchurched friends, but don't talk about that in here. Talk about that at home. You can think about it later, but man, like in our small group, we don't want to talk about doubt. We just want to talk about belief. Here's a Bible verse. This will make you feel better. But we try to hide it. We ignore it. But the reality is doubt doesn't go away. And, that, and that's what Jesus is trying to expose with the disciples. They say that we believe that you're everything you say you are. We, we believe that, Jesus. And then Jesus allows things to happen that kind of poke at that and go, do you really believe it? Because belief isn't belief until pressure is applied. You don't know whether or not you truly believe something until there's some pressure applied that, that exposes whether or not that's belief or there's doubt and there's unbelief. And doubt doesn't go away. But doubt is, doubt is like pain. Doubt's a warning that something is not right. Doubt will never go away. It has to be confronted. It has to be exposed. And the Holy Spirit wants to deconstruct it and build something new. About three years ago, Jen, uh, my wife and I were running in a half marathon up in Wake Forest, and at like the six-mile mark, she just stopped. And I was like, yeah, you can't hang with me. Um, and so she walks back, I finish, and uh, her foot's swollen, so then she's like, I'm just going to uh, rest it. And so for the next, I think about two months, she didn't run, and she just rested it, and slowly the, the foot healed. Uh, but what we didn't know is that she actually had a, a broken bone. So those two months, the, the foot healed, or, or we thought it healed. And then this past December, so about two years later, uh, we were running here downtown Clayton, and she stopped again. Again, I was like, I'm just that much better than you. And she said, I just need to, to she said, I'm going to walk back to the car. I'm okay. And so same thing. So she rested it for a couple of months. But, the, but this time it didn't get better. And so she finally saw a foot specialist and he discovered that she actually three years ago had broken a bone in her foot. And her first question to him was like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, how, did, how is that possible? Like, it got better. So for two years, I was able to run. Like, there's no way this is the same injury. And he told her basically that our bodies find ways to insulate, the, insulate itself from pain. Scar tissue had formed around the break. And that, it, and that it was able to hide it for a while, but the bone was always broken. And eventually it was, it was just going to come back to the surface again, which it did. And this time it had to be 
healed properly. But it wasn't until it was confronted that it could be corrected. And doubt is the same thing in our lives. Like, like, like doubt is one of those things that we can do things to insulate ourselves from it. We can do things to distract ourselves from it for a while, to hide it, but it's never going to go away until it is, until it is exposed and until it is corrected. And you got to ask yourself the question, where in my life am I doubting his power today? Because like I said a minute ago, we sing about it, but do we really truly believe that? Like maybe today you're struggling, you're doubting that he can, whether or not he can truly save you, whether or not he can forgive you. You're in a place where you're like this, this repetitive pattern where you keep doing the same thing over and over again. And you're like, man, I've asked God to forgive me. I've claimed uh, the, the blood of Jesus so many times. Like, can, is it possible that he can really forgive me again? And you're doubting whether or not that's possible. Doubting whether or not he loves you, whether or not he's aware of what you're experiencing or feeling right now. Doubting whether or not he's listening. Doubting whether or not he really is sovereign over everything and everyone. And to you, the answer is simple. You've got to do what Peter did. You've got to press into the doubt and allow Jesus to sustain you. It was Peter's doubt that led him out on the water. And it wasn't Peter's faith that sustained him. It was Jesus. It was Jesus, his source. And what caused him to walk on the water was not his level of faith. It was the object of his faith. It was Jesus. And then it says, then he began to sink. And so he slowly starts to sink beneath the surface. Now, again, if you've, if you've ever tried to walk on water, you know that you're either above water or below water. If you've ever jumped into a pool, dove off a cliff, fallen out of a boat, you know that sinking is anything but slow. Sinking is instantaneous, right? Like you're either above the water or you're below it. There's, there's no in between. But for, for Peter, Jesus allows him to sink slowly. So Peter is pressed into his doubt. Jesus is sustaining him. But then Jesus is now allowing him to drip, to, to drop slowly, to slowly fall beneath the surface of the water. And I believe Jesus is doing that because he wants to see what Peter's response is going to be. Is Peter going to look to himself to fix the problem? I mean, likely he was only a few feet away from the boat. The natural human instinct would be to jump back to the boat or to call out to the, to the other disciples, you know, throw me the life raft, send the, the Navy divers, like do something, but help me, hand me one of the oars. Jesus wants to see in his time of need who he is going to retreat to, what he is going to run to. And as he starts to sink, who does Peter cry out to? To the other disciples? To himself? And he cries out to Jesus. It's that moment where Peter got the lesson. The lesson was always about Jesus being the source of all of our strength. And he's rowing in the storm. He's trying to figure it out on his own. With the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples are scrambling to try to find food. Jesus finally shuts that down. It's like enough is enough. Tell everybody to sit down. You guys are going to serve him. And now in this moment, when Peter can do what he did before, which is try to figure out the answer on his own, he doesn't do that. Instead, he looks to Jesus. He identifies and recognizes Jesus as his source. 
And for you and I, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, when we find ourselves navigating the storms of life, there's something that we are going to instantaneously run to. There's something that we are going to retreat to. And the question for every one of us is, is, our, is that going to be Jesus or is that going to be something else? Because whatever it is that we run to in those moments of need and in those seasons of crisis, whatever it is that we run to, that is what we truly believe is our source. When you and I find ourselves in difficult situations is our first instinct to talk about how we're going to power through it because we're strong. If you do, then you believe that you are your source of strength. Is your instinct isolation? And I'm just going to retreat away from everyone and everything. I'm just going to get alone and I'm just going to sleep this thing away. Or maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's social media or the, the media in general. But in our moments of doubt and uncertainty, when we're experiencing pain and suffering, who or what we cry out to first reveals who or what we believe is our source of strength. Peter cries out to Jesus, and in verse 31, it says, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I love that Jesus didn't make him wait. He didn't make Peter suffer. He didn't let him sink in the shame of unbelief. As soon as Peter cried out, he grabbed him find it interesting that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, but Jesus never took his eyes off of Peter. It's a reminder to you and I. Our eyes may be off of him, but his eyes are never off of us. Peter lost sight of the source, but the source never lost sight of him. It says after that that they climbed back in the boat in verse 32. The wind stopped and then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. See, the disciples, like any other first century Jewish believer, understood that God alone was to be worshipped. To worship anything other than God was to be an idolater and was to violate the first commandment. But it says they worshipped him. You really are the son of God. And this is a really big moment for the disciples. If you remember back to the book of earlier in Matthew, Matthew 8, with the storm, it says Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, and they said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? But now they're not asking what kind of man this is. They're openly declaring that you are the Son of God. Like you are God in the flesh. It says they worshiped him. And you know, regardless of what we're experiencing, regardless of what we're walking through, we can always worship him. The word worship was to, to bow down, to lay down, essentially to kiss the ground of, the, of, of the, the ground that the person was walking on. 
to even revere where their feet had been as, as sacred. Worship of God happens for you and I when we grow in our knowledge of him. And as we grow in our knowledge of him, it increases the value we place on him. The more you know about God, the more you'll love him and the more you'll worship him. If you bow your heads with me. This morning, we've all carried different things in here with us today. I don't know what, uh, what weight you're carrying. Could be something relational. Could be something financial. Could be just doubt that exists in your relationship with God. Like in light of what is happening in your life or the world around you, like is he really there? Is he really in control? And I want to encourage you to, to press into that doubt. Here's the cool thing about God is he already knows it's there. When we press into our doubt, it's not a revelation to anyone except ourselves. Like he knows it's there. He's aware of it. And like Peter with Jesus, he's okay with it. But press into that doubt. Because he wants to show you something. He wants to teach you something. He wants to, us to see that he is the source of all of our strength. And so Jesus, now we come to you. We openly declare, as the disciples did, that you are the son of the living God, that you are God in the flesh. You are Savior. You are Lord. You are sovereign over whatever it is that we're walking through, whatever it is that we carried in here with us this morning. And as we press into those moments and places of doubt, we look to you and we trust you to be the one that sustains us. God, that you would reveal that doubt, that you would deconstruct it, that you would build that right belief in us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak to us. Help us become more like Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray it. Amen.